You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. What's up, gentlemen? Hey, sir. Hello. I I completely ignored the make sure you use Chrome instructions. We're all good. Well, that's what that's what we get for sending you uh, an instruction four minutes before the meeting. What 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 do we have blue painters tape all behind your head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, you'll appreciate this. Hold on, because this is going to be my shoe wall of fame. Oh, so we're putting some shelves there. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see, it's been like that for six months. I don't know how. Not quickly. six months, like four. Oh, four. My, my bad. My bad. We have plexiglass panes that we have to cut down for these and just haven't gotten around to it the plexiglass is just sitting there so i got the dang look i'm looking very unprofessional i got the dangly freaking ear pods that i'm here with you yeah i'm I'm glad i was glad to see you you were looking the same as me i I have this hidden out of sight but you would think the spartan up podcast would send me all the good stuff i don't have the goods yet listen they're not going to open the vault up to just anyone (laughs) not me yet what are we all looking at behind you, Yancey? Is that all your uh, like your wall of fame memorabilia? What do we got on that shelf? Probably. Uh, oh man, let's. Uh, we got. Um, yeah, I want to see it. Yeah, we got. Uh, now the people won't be able to see it because we don't show video, but we'll, we'll live. We, yeah, we got. Um, let's. We got. We got high school medals here. Still I got always, them. I always tell people you got to keep your stuff. You know why? You guys don't have the old kids. I've got a 14-year-old that's an eighth-grade track. She freaking loves this stuff. My son loves it. We got the death race skull. Um, some of the stuff that I'm most proud of. These are our state championship rings, the high school football program that I do strength conditioning for. You guys probably have 15 times more of these than me. Nope. It's um, like, yeah, and see, on our last episode, Bracken just told everybody that he threw all his old medals in, in blocks away. What do you think of that? We can talk about this. It's it's a, you know, I see people posting stuff about this all the time. And here's my thing. These are usually people that don't have kids of age yet that are um, kind of getting into signing up for stuff. And I tell you right now, I, one of the key reasons I dove into athletics like I did was because I remember my dad showing me his medals, track and field medals and things that he did. And to me, that medal was like this freaking big. And my dad's, you know, if he said he ran a 430 mile, I said, he said he must have ran a 330 mile, you know, when you're a little, little bitty guy. Mm-hmm. But just, I remember thinking how he was my hero because of those trophies and those medals. And that, that was very, very important. So I always tell people, don't throw them away yet because those little runt, those little gremlins of yours, you know, what you get to tell them one day is every single one of those medals and trophies, that was a weekend where I went somewhere and raced, where I worked my butt off. And went somewhere and raced. And so there you go, Bracken. I hope you didn't officially well, throw them away yet. Uh-oh. I respect that. And what we didn't get into is what I did keep. I threw away all the redundant trophies. I kept one uh, yeah. block from each era that Spartan used. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I got you. And then I kept all the swords I ever won. And I kept the big checks, the giant checks. So the unique. That, that's uh, enough. 
That's yeah. I kept there. a skull that I got from uh, from uh, an OCRWC type competition. I, the unique things those those are there, but all the redundant ones gone. Yeah. Yeah, and he's but, also got he's got what NBC professional footage that he can just pop in the old VHS right back <laughs> and the kids one day. You know, all those at one point we had a link on Vimeo to all of the NBC footage. It was an NBC employee link to their Vimeo private channel, and I lost access, so I lost all those old races overnight. Oh man! All the stuff that didn't make the episodes, like cutting room floor stuff, lost it all. Yeah, I remember the first time I met you, two thousand. God, I want to say two thousand twelve, Killington. Mm. You were just. Did we you meet? Were, you were a young. Po- I just quick shake of the hands. I was there for the very first Ultra Beast. That's um, true. Then, then yeah. And uh, you, but you did very well in. And uh, you were you you were like a freaking teenager basically back then. <laughs> I was young. Yeah, you were. I was one year out of college, a year and a half. Wow. Yeah, you, you were. Yeah, I mean, you're still a cyborg now, but back then you were you were royalty, man. You know, you choose a small enough kingdom early enough in the in the infancy of the nation, and you can be royalty for a bit. It's so true. It's, you know, here I was, 40, 39 years old, forty, and you're like, dude, these are the. Those are the OCR cyborgs. Look, there's Bracken, there's Hunter. Look at these guys. It's it's so it's so cool when you look back on the. Uh, we've we've been doing this thing for a while now, man. Yeah, it's funny. The other day it popped up the the memory. Not the other day, a couple months ago, popped up the memory of that first world championship podium at Killington, and it was Cody, Hobie, and me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone's like, "That's so cool, you're around there." And it's like, yeah, it was, but. It's less cool that both of those guys repeated with multiple world championships and I never I never showed back up in the top seven again. So it shows that some of the top studs were there from the beginning, but the depth of sport changed real quick. Yeah. No, Jack and I, you know, you guys, I mean, Jack and I love stats and he can crunch them better than me, but we probably talk stats at least once a day. And we're always wheeling and dealing with something that we're crunching. And it's so unique when you look at the depth of the sport. And, you know, you never want to hurt somebody's feelings but there's just performances from certain people back then that do they would not stand the test of time if you plug plug them in today just i mean you you talk about that ultra beast my first lap i ran 259 Mm -hmm. my second lap i ran 440 that's insane (laughs) you know so the first lap was really good because i was racing the world championship beast but if you put an ultra running field in there going out you know an hour 40 slower your second lap you don't go top 15 yeah, uh, there's people today would would come back and duplicate that same time on the on the second lap. Hundred um, percent. I was in the Lost Tribe. Alec Blennis got us oh, off, yeah. and we got to the we got to the sandbag carry, and and there was two people, man, in the sandbag, and they're like, whoa, 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 we got forty people rolling in before Hobie. There is a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you guys terrified us then. Every obstacle we got to after the word had been radioed ahead, they'd be like. Did you touch monkey bars yet? Did you do monkey bars? You will have to go back. <laughs> We're thinking like, oh man, did I did I do monkey bars? <laughs> Terrified us the rest of the day. But Alec Blendis was the reason I got to do the ultra because he gave me his uh his ultra band. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to continue on because I didn't sign up for it that day. So he paid it forward. It was a little easier to to get around get around the system back then. Yes, it was. Wouldn't wouldn't you consider yourself a cyborg of the day, Yancey? Looking at all your blocks behind you. 
I, I came to the sport in 2016, so I'm later to the game. But that's a stack of blocks there, brother. Well, I'm, I will humbly say that I was relatively skillful at cherry-picking races. There, let's just say there's not a one of those blocks that's from an NBC championship series race, or I'm not going to pretend for a second. I mean, I would travel around and, and Bracken knows back in the day, you know, it was really, it was cool to be in the top 50 points. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I was 41, 42, 43. And if I cherry picked enough races, man, I could say, you know, I could come in top 25 in the, in the global or the national points just because I, slipped into a, a you know there wasn't 15 cyborgs there that that showed up but i had a good time racing man i i mean i i went to as many races as i could possibly go because probably like you guys it wasn't just about racing you knew you were going to be coaching or you you might be coaching and i i was passionate about putting my hands on as many obstacles and as many, many courses that i could because i was from day one i was you know I, when i started in the sport i was you know, I was doing a lot of running coaching. I'd never stopped running from, from high school and college and a lot of running coaching. It just kind of, I was still in pretty decent shape. So the OCR thing made sense. And I just, it, it, from the beginning, it seemed like one of those sports where this is a little different. You, you know, I think it, at a minimum, it will help to have the experience versus just being a running coach. And I think you guys could, can absolutely, uh, you know, would absolutely agree to that. I'm guessing. You're right. It, it was different from step one. You get done with a 5K or a trail half or something like that, and you mill around after, you have your drink, you have your banana, you share war stories, and then maybe you see them at another race. Mm -hmm. Every person we met that first year, we were in contact with on social media instantly, and we roomed together at races later on. And we're throughout the years, it right away, it was just a different experience and a different connection. I never sought someone out from a 5K that I met. And yet I'm your friendly or fr actual friends lifelong with everyone we met that first year. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. I, you know, I've been competitive since probably third grade, been doing something. I've, I tell people I've never gone more than two or three days in my life without training or racing or something. And, and it was different. I've done a lot of stuff and this was definitely, you know, if you said, okay, who are your hundred best friends? Uh, you know, I've been doing life for 49 years. There's probably 50 to 60 that I met in some form or fashion around OCR. It's just crazy when you think about it. You know, half of my my good good people that I that I talk to periodically, hang out with, will look out, you know, to catch up with if I'm going to a race. And I, I don't think that's abnormal. There's a lot of people that would say, you know, say something similar. Yeah. yeah. I would say, I would say though, I don't know you very well, Yancey. We've only talked in passing a few times, but I know a lot of people who know you better than I do. And all of those people adore you. And you seem to be a, uh, what would I say, like somehow a master of managing relationships because everybody feels like they're close to Yancey. Is there something special going on there? How do you, how do you manage all your, your tribe? I, I cherish networking. I mean, if it would say, if I could have choose one career and it was a, it was a career and it was called networking. I love that more than in anything on the planet. Um, like I was geeked when when Bracken said, let's do the podcast because I knew I would just get to hang out for an hour and, and shoot the breeze, man, like we say down here in Texas. Mm -hmm. And I love um, – I'm not worth a shit very much, but, but 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 one of the things that I think I'm pretty decent at is when there's a moment – and I always tell you know my high school kids and, and youth when I coach them, I said, when, when you're walking into a situation, uh, an interview, a one-on-one, -on -one, uh, to coach your team or to be coached or any situation, basically before you get out of bed in the morning, 
you know, you hit that pause button and say, you got to be present and in the moment when you have the opportunity to communicate with that person. And I, I'm decent at that. And so I, you know, when I get a, a, a few minutes or, or an hour, you know, I, I just try to pinch the life out of that little bit of time we have to, you know, and, and, I, and I fail at this sometimes honestly, but, but the goal at least is to go in and say, Hey, how can I serve the situation without looking to be served? And what normally happens is you just, you know, tenfold, it comes back to you as long you just don't want to ever expect that, but you just, your network grows. Um, a, a very smart individual one time, he, he told me, he said, you know, start writing down the people that are there in your network. And periodically, if it's a text message, an email, a phone call a private message on social media, whatever, reach out to them once a quarter minimum and just say, how the hell are you doing, man? Is there anything I can do for you? And, and don't expect anything in return. And if they need something, you need to help them out. Um, and again, man, I'm, I'm just failing forward in that attempt, but I, I try to genuinely stick by those rules for, for myself. And um, yeah, man, we, we, we only get a short little time here on this beautiful rock of ours. And uh, you, you really want to, I think when you start thinking that away, you almost get to the point where you don't even want today to end because it, every day kind of becomes a beautiful day. Even if you don't even have two pennies to rub together or you're struggling, when you really are present and in the moment, you do start to, to pinch the life out of each day and, and you get a lot out of it. And really and truly, we do get a lot of days. You know, there's several thousand of them that we get. And if you maximize that time, man, it's, it, it's a beautiful life. No, I'll go ahead. I was to say, I agree with that. And I would say, Bracken, you've experienced this with me, but like the more our goal of starting this podcast over a year ago was just like give to the OCR community, right? Like give, give back, so to speak. But the more we've given, the more inadvertently we've received back from like energy from others, right? You don't even realize how well that circle works. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like as much as you've helped other people, like you see yourself and everybody, right? In some aspect. So by helping others, I feel like, I feel like we've, inadvertently helped ourselves, which has been super cool. There's thousands of podcasts out there and hundred, easily hundreds that have started up because of OCR. You guys quickly separated yourself. I, I immediately started taking note. It was two people that were just being genuine. And, and I always tell people, as long as your, your message is healthy and coming from a genuine place, throw your filter aside and just dive in. Don't filter yourself. And, and unless, unless you're getting into an unhealthy manner Unless your your mission is unhealthy, you have no reason to filter. And you guys get a lot of genuine messages across across to people because it's coming from a good place. And you you've separated yourself. I mean, it's like here's the podcast, and you guys are over here. And I've only probably I would like to listen to every one of them. I probably only listened to maybe ten or fifteen throughout. But consistently, you separate yourself, um, and that's uh, that's a good thing, man. I, I enjoy your work. Oh, we appreciate that. And Yancy, you are a person that if someone created a caricature, a caricature of you, it would be very cliche. It would be like positive phrase here, positive quote here, positivity here. And you would look at it like on paper and you would think this person's a walking cliche. They're just too positive all the time. They're just spitting those things out there that they know people will grab onto because it makes them feel good. But the people that see you in real life, not on paper, realize that like that, you embody that. You you are passionate about positivity and about, like you said, if you have a second of your day, you take it to reach out. And that's something I've noticed. Watch, I'm, I'm a people watcher. I watch the way people interact when I'm in a group. I watch how they interact online. 
And your reaction to everything is to reach out and touch, to reach out and connect. And you see a lot of those people who will spit those similar phrases or intentions that you proclaim, but yours just keeps rebounding out, out, out. It keeps happening. Whereas other people will say it so that they can get their next click or their next subscriber. From the beginning, it struck me that you're one of the rare people that are looking to fill other people's cups rather than your own, even though that in return fills yours. So it's it's something that we've emulated in the industry from the beginning, the way that you just are a connector. Well, I appreciate that, man. I think every every little five minute section or every day, you know, look at those two, a five minute period of time in the day or, or, or one full day. That's a microcosm of your whole life. And when you can really just say, and I, again, I hate to lean on the pause button again, but I always encourage people that if you don't have this internal or I, and for some, you need to actually create an external pause button to where if you don't, if you don't pause for a second, let's take five to 10 seconds and remind myself what I'm getting ready to invest. I'm getting ready to invest my time in this situation. If you'll pause and remind yourself of that, it helps so much. That's a very simple task. We just go into things all the time and we lose opportunities to serve and invest and really get something out of those next five minutes or, or the entire day because we just, we're just on a roller coaster ride and it just passes us by and we didn't remind ourselves to maximize time, maximize the situation. And so, you know, I, I, anytime we hear somebody speak or talk, it's all, I always tell people, say what you're going to say in a way that allows somebody to take a real easy nugget from what you said. And so it's the pause button. Like some people actually need to freaking have a physical, like I'm going to, this is my pause button. Stop, relax, think about what you're getting ready to do. And then going, you're, you're pop tall, man. You've got a smile on your face. You're bringing the big energy and you're going to hear everything that person says. All that stuff is so important. And as you, you guys know that as, as coaches, when we get, it might be just a 30 second voice message with a client. You know, you got to invest in that 30 second, make that a real 30 second empowering, motivated uh, a voice message or text message that you send them. And, and there's so many other examples, but really and truly, if you're not going to maximize your time, you, you, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you're spinning your wheels. And, and that's, um, I, I, I give it, it's my platform talk, man. You got platform A, B, and C. If I'm giving a motivational talk, it's, I'll spend an hour on this, but I'll just take 30 seconds to do it. Platform A, man, you're a high energy, positive person. You maximize opportunity. Platform C, you're a pain in the ass, negative energy guy. Platform B, you're mediocrity. I mean, when you get out, before you get out of bed, just say, gosh, damn it. I'm going to spend most of my day on platform A. And if I fall off, I've got other good people that will pull my ass back up there. That's a choice, you know. It's it's a decision we can make every single day. Do you do you find that like so the the, the key to all that is being present though, right? Like being present, not thinking about your race next week or the bad workout you had 2 days ago or the fight with your wife or your bad finances. It's just like being present, right? Do you is that something you have to practice cuz genuine connection uh stems from being present. I feel like like always, right? Is that something that's innate for you or do you have to constantly bring yourself back to that? Because I find myself as like a type A sort of exuberant personality at times, like I can get out of my own head and I got to get back into present space. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. And I can be very selfish sometimes. And I can, I think I can be naturally selfish sometimes. And I, you know, where I have to remind myself to, to, to serve my wife, serve my kids, because I have so many things going on that fill my, they fill my personal love tank, man. I got a lot of, there's 17 things. I've slowly worked my life in a way where I love every single thing I do. So it's constantly feeding me. And I'm just like, 
man, me, 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 me. And I have to, I'm constantly pushing my own pause button saying, dude, I'm missing opportunities right now. So I get exactly what you're saying, man. So not for a second, am I going to pretend that, yeah, I'm just this big bundle of service to everybody. I have to constantly remind myself. You, when I, when people ask me what you're really like, I say, well, I don't go back like to Yancey's youth. I only know him from what I've seen at races and in our phone interactions, but he is who he is in his videos, but he also is the busiest person in one of the busiest in the industry. I, I tell people you have more fires in the, or more irons in the fire than almost anyone I know. Like that's true about you. You have, you are go, go, go. There are things everywhere. Is there enough time in there for those other pieces? And you seem to balance that well. I was, I was in the corporate world, general management, high level management for 16 years where I had to really, you had to be laser focused. And when you were there, you were laser focused and you really couldn't turn it off when you left. And for a while, the first couple of years in OCR, I was, I was still in the corporate world and I, I would dabble with things. I was, I was running a, a semi full-time fitness business, coaching boot camps and moonlighting morning boot camps, evening boot camps after work. And it, it, it was, it was, I was not managing it well. Um, my wife became the uh, assistant athletic. She's the athletic director for sports performance nutrition, University of Texas athletic department. When she took that job, we were all of a sudden in a great situation where she had the awesome benefits. She had the full-time awesome gig. And I said, you know what? I'm diving in headfirst with all things that I truly love. Not that I didn't love the, the corporate world, but I, I, I man, it, it had me shackled. It, it just kind of, I was dragging this ball and chain and I, what I, what I did, I made a promise to myself the moment I left the corporate world is I said, I'm never going to allow myself to take on any one role that encompasses me full time ever. Um, you know, I've been working with Spartan in various ways for, for many years. I've never done anything more than, than being a contractor for them. I've, I've never taken a full time role with them. Uh, you know, Yancey camp and coaching is you guys know it's, 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 it's gotta be pretty much close to full time at least. Um, but, but funny, true story, I didn't want it to completely consume me. So that's kind of the way I designed the coaching program the way I did. Um, I, I still have a, a decent handful of athletes that I coach full time and really invest in, but I didn't want that to completely consume me because I knew in the long run, my athletes would even benefit more with the things that I'm dabbling with. Um, you know, I do a lot of contract work with, with companies and I just, I don't do a single thing that doesn't fill me up. But, and, and here's another, and you, I'm sure you guys are doing this in some form or fashion. I've been able to mesh almost every company that I work with and even Yancey camp, I, I'm able to mesh them together where even a lot of them find themselves leaning in on each other in various ways. And in some cases, officially partnered together where I've been able to kind of loosely broker those deals. And so just about everything I do, or I would say actually everything I do is health and wellness, fitness related things with my wife and nutrition. So, and those all mesh together really well. You, you know what I mean? I don't have, I don't have different genres of life, uh, life's work pulling me in, in a bunch of different directions. That makes sense. Well, you are known, you are known by everyone in the OCR community as the Yancey camp. You are Yancey camp and you're known as a lot of people as DecaFit and you're known uh, as some people as a one-on-one -on -one coach or as a racer, and some people remember you from your death race days or things like that. But as much as you are well-known, and I'd argue that outside of the Joe DeSenas of the world and the Hunter McIntyres, I think that you are the most widely known athlete coach in the sport. Everyone knows Yancey. 
but I don't think many people know why and how you were you got to this place here. Like I know you decently well, but I'm not like I'm not inner circle. I don't know what your childhood was like, what your high school career was like. I know you ran in college, but I don't know much about it. And I want to chat optimism with you all day. And I want to chat training philosophy with you all day. But I do want to start with the side of Yancey that people didn't know, the come up Yancey. Before I dive into that, how you kind of managed into that question gave me chills because I was talking to a couple athletes the other day, up and coming athletes that reached out to me and said, how do I, how do I become known? You know, how do I improve my brand for lack of better terms? And it is going back to our very first day when this whole OCR thing first started, it goes back to what we said. Every single moment you get, if you will invest in that time, it, it might be getting to know one person really well. There's so many people I know that work with sponsors and have opportunities that, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but it's something that I think I could do. I could be a good coach to, 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 to certain people at doing a better job. They, they don't seize that moment, you know, to, I have five minutes here to get to know this person a little better. And that's going to turn into 17 other things over here. That person's going to say something. I'm going to go say something about them. We're going to start meshing together. And you start stacking hundreds and thousands and even thousands of days like that on top of each other. And all of a sudden you've just got a huge network and it, it doesn't happen. You, you don't want to get caught up in looking at, man, that person is known. That person knows a lot of people who's doing a lot of things. It's like, I'm right here and I'm going to go to the next step. And I'm going to go to the next step and the next step. It's a slow, I think, beautiful process that most lose their opportunity every day to get on that slow path of climbing. Um, and I apologize, Bracken. Ask your, ask your actual question again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to roll with that one for a second. You're right. We And we've talked about... We talked about this a couple episodes back in terms of people wanting to shortcut the coaching process. I want to start making money as a coach today mm -hmm. rather than I need to learn under somebody and then I need to give it away for free for three years and then I need to refine it on my small group of friends for four years and then I need to have budget rates for five years and then on year 12, I am an established coach and now I can charge my premium price. You're right about that. People, I want to be established now. I want sponsors now but it's the turn to the guy next to you and spend five minutes or on the flight, the, the person next to you flying there with a Spartan race on their mm -hmm. shirt on, it's chatting them up the whole way. Those are the, that's the groundwork towards level A. You start all the way down at the bottom. I, for a year, I gave every ounce of my coaching ability that I could possibly muster up to Isaiah and April and a few others it just invested in them beyond belief. Um, and we went to, you know, Tahoe, 2000, I'm sorry, Killington, 2014. And they, they, Isaiah was first, third, and fifth in the three races. And April was third, third, and fourth. And they just had breakout performances. And, you know, I, I just, I dove in with everything I had early on. And nobody freaking knew who I was back then. You know, you know like, like you said, it was, um, but, but I loved what I was doing. I was as passionate about what I was doing throughout 2013 and 14 as I was when I was kind of cranking up. The, the coaching as I, as I am today. I love mm -hmm. every one of those moments as much or more than I, than I do, than I, I did today. And, and, um, so yeah, man, it's, um, every day is special. Don't get caught up in that where I want to be. You're in a great spot today, man. You can't rush that. You can't rush that. And, and what it comes down to is it's like one, like if you're passionate and people reciprocate that as genuine and they can see you're actually living 
what you preach. And then two, it's, it's how you make people feel and you make people feel good if you genuinely give a shit. Right. So like, I think you're, you, you're, you exude both of those things. So I, I just, it's good to hear you say that. So short, shorthand version of the original question is we see your finished, not finished, but your present finished result now. But the athletic journey and the personal journey that got you here is what I want to spend the first part of this doing. So like, take us, rewind us back to young Yancey, where that athletic and passion journey started. Um, I, I was, I was blessed to grow up in the middle of nowhere on, on hundreds of acres. Um, my, my dad was a, was, was a great runner. Uh, at the age of 16, he had a very bad motorcycle accident uh, and, and he kind of stole his you know, some of his career a little bit, but at 14, 15 in California, I mean, he was breaking records. Um, and, uh, in CIF, uh, he still has a couple of his old medals that as a freshman in, in high school, but he loved sport competition. He built competitions for us. And just, um, that's why I say, keep your stuff, man. Cause my dad inspired me. We had this, um, uh, I, I, it almost brings me to tears every time I tell the story, but we had this big pasture out in front of our, our acreage. And uh, it was an open pasture. This was some pecan trees, and it was about a uh, it was about a, a mile and a half loop. And early on, when I was elementary school and then early middle school, I would round the corner so Dad and I could stay together. We would always meet back up at, at multiple spots, and then I would round the corner because he was I mean he was running really fast into his, his you know thirties and forties. And then there was a couple years where we were running together. Our times were the same. And then this is when I tear up because there was about three or four years where he had to start rounding the corners. You know, I was still, my, my sophomore, junior, senior year, you know, I mean, I was, I was running some pretty salty times and now all of a sudden dad is rounding, rounding the corners to, to stay with me. So it went from this, I'm rounding to stay with him, a couple years running together and then dad's rounding the corners and we would run together. You know, if we went for a five mile run, five, six mile run, three or four laps around, you, you know, we were always spending at least 50% of that time together. And we would have to jockey our pace a little bit and he would slow down and stay with me a little bit. But, amazing memories. So he was so present, as we said, um, with the, uh, with just investing in my, my sister and I, and I, he literally, he, he holds the cards to my, just about everything I do and, and why I do it. So on my most positive day, and I'm not exaggerating here, my most positive day, the most positive high energy you've ever seen me, I've never matched my dad. That's very difficult to imagine. No way. He is, he's that guy, he's that space invader guy, you know, that wants to get up so close. It was like, it's almost too close. He like just within 30 seconds, he finds a way. I mean, unless you're breaking down his front door to harm our family, he's going to love you. I don't care if you disagree on everything. He is going to invest in you and love you. And just, it's the coolest thing. You know, when you can't even hardly talk about your dad without almost having a constant flow of tears in your eyes in the most beautiful way. That's my dad, man. He is a, uh, he's just a rock star. So did he push you into running or did you just want to emulate him? No, he was such, I think a lot of my coaching techniques and how I coach my daughter now and the high school kids is he was a firm believer and I, and I, I, I stick with this with rock solid conviction. He, my dad and I are firm believers that I don't care if you're training for the Olympics or just your local five K OCR, you, you, you can you can and should enjoy the process, and and it and and I'm a firm believer in that. I, there's so many for every one athlete that makes it, there's five thousand that would have made it if they would have enjoyed the process a little more instead of having somebody that's drove them into the ground or a mom and dad that's like you know 
that he had a gracious way of pushing hard, but it never felt like hard pushing. It was, you know, it was just, he would create, he would create uh, unique ways for me to get a three mile run in. Uh, and it, he would throw in, you know, terrain and obstacles. And it wasn't just like, Hey, go get your run in. Um, and and when, it, when it was time, he got me a, a, a qualified coach, you know, my senior year, I had, I had a pretty good year, way better than, you know, uh, earlier in high school. Cause you know, I just was, I was fiddle farting around with a little bit. I was, you know, I was in the, I was the guy that stomped on the campus of university of North Texas with a track scholarship mad that it wasn't a football scholarship. You know, I small town, Texas dude, it was all about football. Um, but I had decent, you know, decent genetics with mom and dad. And, um, I, I just happened to be a pretty decent, uh, middle endurance runner, but I loved, I loved all sports competition. I mean, if we're playing a game monopoly, Dude, in my mind, I'm gonna whoop your ass. I, I'm I'm winning. Now I'm gonna do it mm. graciously, but I am doing everything I can to win. And that's that was we all we had fun with that. It was never me in a hateful way, but everybody was competitive, and my kids are competitive, and I believe I believe that's healthy. Don't step into it's perfectly okay if you lose. Celebrate, you know the be a gracious loser. But dude, when that competition's going, you better frick, you better bring everything you got. So he was, he was big on, on that as well, but yeah, uh, you know, and I'll tell you one quick story. I've only told this a few times. My mom, she was the driver. I remember fourth grade, I'm playing Pop Warner football and, and she never, they never, anytime I'm coaching athletes, I always say, raise your hand if you're being, for, if you're for, being forced to be at this practice or game today. I don't think I've ever had a kid raise his hand to say, yeah, somebody is actually forcing me to be here. So I was never forced to do anything. My mom said, you've decided to play football. You've decided to, to provide your service to this team. You're going to give 100%. And I was half-assing it in a game one day. And I look back, I was dead, I was just fiddle-farting around, enjoying enjoying football. You know, when you get out there, <laughs> it's time to go to freaking battle. Well, she got me in the front yard and threw my ass around until I was literally ready to freaking tackle her. I'm in fourth grade, and I'm so pissed off at my mom. And, and she did not throw, she did not stop throwing my butt around until I was ready to tackle her. And she's like, okay, now you're freaking ready. So mom, mom had some fire in her and, and, you know, she wouldn't have done that with track, but she's like, football's a warrior sport. You've decided to play football or wrestling or rugby or something like that. Boxing, you can't, you don't half-ass that. You got to play that sport like it's designed to be played. And, and I wasn't the biggest guy on the field either. So, <laughs> you know. But yeah, mom and dad, man, they had they played a huge role, and and it's just um, you know, I I would say that I'm extremely lucky. Not every kid gets to grow up with 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 a parent with parents that that I think did a pretty darn good job giving me a, a, a nice foundation to, you know, I, I'm not half the coach I am today w without without mom and dad. Um, so yeah, mad props to mom and dad. Hopefully they'll listen to this. You have siblings? I have a, a two sisters, two younger sisters. Yeah. Nice. Mm -hmm. So you got to high school, a little undersized, not fully committed to things, but you wound up with a college track scholarship. So there's a, there's a gap there. When did you become that person? Was it a mental thing? Was it maturity physically, or was it a bit of both? Well, um, middle seventh grade, eighth grade, I was running pretty well. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I never lost a, a 1600 meter race in, in middle school. Again, it's relatively small schools. So it wasn't like I was out there blowing it up in downtown Dallas or Houston, but ran, ran pretty good in, in middle school. 
obviously went into, you know, enjoyed track in, in high school or, or dealt with it. I didn't actually truly enjoy it like I did. I did high school, but I was good at it. So I, I you know, I said, well, I, this is kind of cool. Um, but my senior year, dad, dad got me a, a, a coach that was very, we got very serious. And, you know, I, 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 I dropped a 430 in, in high school and I, I just wasn't, you know, I, I, I was, I was right around my, like my sophomore, junior year, I think I might've broke five a few times. I just didn't have, you know, and I got semi-serious about it and we were doing some very structured coaching and it was like, bam, 30 seconds were just vaporized. And, and you guys know that, that that's what happens. Um, so I was a decent runner. I had, I had decent skills. And, you know, when you, I think from a recruiting perspective, if I'd have been a big, at a big 5A school running that time and, and had only been running track, um, I don't think that's super special, but, you know, I was, I was playing all the sports. I was playing football. I was, I was powerlifting. I was, I did all these sports in, in small town, Texas. If you don't, if you don't play, you don't have a team, just about everybody plays, but you know, so I think even I felt that once I really invest some time, I can be a better version of myself throughout the rest of my life with, uh, with this thing called, called running. And, um, and I've never, I've never stopped. I I've, I've, I've probably never gone more than two or three days since those middle school days without doing some type of, of running in it. It just fills my soul, man. It's 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 a lifetime sport, and uh, it's it's the it's the healthiest drug on the planet, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, we're, you're preaching to the to the choir here. I know, I know, man. You, North, North Texas, you said? Yes, sir. University of North Texas. You arrive on campus as a four thirty miler, which is solid high school, uh, and then you got introduced to college running. Yes. And what was that like? Um, I that assume was, that you're one on one coaching and small town. Uh, you know, math teacher coaching your track team was a little different experience than what you hit at the college level. Yeah, um, I was. There was no way I was anywhere close to being mentally prepared. I, I was. Uh, I, I didn't. Looking back on it, I, I, I would never say uh, I wish I would have really been laser focused on that because life is what it is. Um, I, 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 I half asked it somewhat I, I remember the very first workout um we didn't have a ton of money uh, and and you know in track scholarships having like a half track scholarship that was that's a pretty that's a pretty nice track scholarship there there are there aren't very there's very few full ride track scholarships on the female side there are because they get a lot more scholarships but i don't know how it was back then on the female versus male side but really and truly there, we were pinching pennies and mm -hmm. i lived i lived off campus so i would drive in get there crazy early and my mileage increased. The, the tough workouts um, increased. I was not prepared for for that. It was a freaking roller coaster ride. Um, I quickly, I quickly started seeing some pretty epic improvements. Okay. Um, got a a knee issue. Had surgery probably three quarters of the way through my first year. Probably, you know, looking back, probably an old football injury. I didn't have uh, any issues, but with uh, you know, throughout high school and the first six, seven, eight months in college. And then knee started bothering me, had, uh, had surgery, came back from that, finished out year one and, um, true story people, people laugh at this. They're like, there's no way what you're about to say is hundred percent accurate. My buddies and I are sitting in a, a strip center parking lot in Denton, Texas, where university of North Texas is. And we're like, let's join the military. I'm, I'm, I swear to you, I had never thought about it five minutes prior to that. And we look up, you know, we, we had seen the, uh, you know, the old Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. And 
every single one of us was like, let's do it. The next day I was, uh, I was in the United States Navy, basically G give or take a few more days, but basically the next day I was, I was game on and, uh, told mom and dad, told my coach. It was like, you know, looking back on that, there, there's, there's times that I'm like, man, I wish I'd have had a mom and dad that would have freaking slapped me around a little bit. But looking back on it, I'm, I don't know exactly how I would handle that with my son or daughter comes to me and says that, but they were like, no bullshit. My, my, my mom and dad were like, let's go, let's do it. You're going to have a great time, man. You're going to go see the world. And I was like, I mean, that had to be ridiculously hard for them, but that kind of paints a picture of my mom and dad. You had no inkling. You had never talked about it growing up. I had, you know, my grandfather was a full bird colonel in the Marine Corps. So that was always around, you know, and that big O'Bannon sword above his mantle. And, you know, I was always proud of, of his level of service. But I, so, so of course, I probably shouldn't have said it quite like that. But of course, I had thought about, you know, my grandpa and how amazing that was. But I had never spent a day in my life with like, you know, reading the books and watching the commercials saying, and I think that's something I'll do one day. It was just me and my crazy friends saying, we're going to join the military. So my, uh, my college running was, uh, was one year and, uh, man, I was, I was in the Navy and I, I got into the Navy and I was before, in phenomenal shape. That, I have to ask, yeah. what did you run that freshman year? Um, did not get to run cross country season. We had a phenomenal we had a phenomenal season. This, this boy was not going to see the top five spot there and never ran a, never ran in an, an indoor or an outdoor meet single one was dropping my best. I was low tens in the 3,200 meters. I was dropping probably a 935, 940 in the 32. Not, not that you run the 32 in, in college, but I remember this day we had put in about six weeks of six months of good work and I, my knee was not giving me issues. And my, my coach kind of got all of us freshmen together. And most of us were high nines or low tens in the 32. And he was like, let me show you what kind of shape you're in now. And, and I, I remember being sub 940 and it felt comfortable. I was like, that wasn't, that didn't kill me. And yeah, it was all training. I, my, my freshman year of college, I don't have a single mark from like an official meet mark. Um, and that's, that's because mom and dad were like, yeah, go ahead, join the military. <laughs> But um, yeah, go ahead. I, I can't Kerry. quite. I can't quite tell if you were in love with running or you hated it or you were apathetic. Because if I think of myself back in that day in Bracken two, I would assume like there is not a chance in heck I would have left running for anything at that point in time. And just knowing that your life revolves around sport right now and involved around running and coaching, it actually really shocks me that as a passionate athlete obviously what was missing for you at the time? Because if you were anything like me, I don't know if I, yeah, I don't think I could have made that decision because my passion would have been already set. Do you know what I'm saying? My wife could probably give you a really good answer with this. Cause she's been, we've been married for 20 years. It probably, this is a fun conversation, man. Well, my wife and I have this one often. I can promise you it's why I, I dealt with the corporate world, but even then was dabbling with stuff and why I have so many things going on now I have always been a wild child with, with, would never professionally diagnosed with ADD and just like, man, there, there is, there has never been a Yancey that has said, you know, laser beam focus, keep those guardrails in tight and just go on this one path and, and see what you can get out of this one path. Definitely not my strength, man. It How was the when, military work. 
Um, ama <laughs> amazing for me because I was, I was able to, there's just so much going on from, you know, from day one, it's a wild ride. And, you, you know, I, I probably, if, if I would have gotten to the wrong career, I, I was, a I was a helicopter mechanic on, on a, in the largest uh, squadron in the, in, in the, in actually in the army, Navy, air force, Army Marines, HM 15 based out of Alameda, California, up in the Bay area. And I was able to do, have so many things going on, you know, without going into detail, it, it, it fed me really well. Um, I was just, I was able to go 90 million miles an hour. And, and that, that was a good thing. That was looked at as a good thing. This guy that could just do all things at, at once moving 90 miles an hour. And uh, I really enjoyed that. that that's kind of who I am now. It's very hard for me. I mean, perfect example. You can't imagine the focus it took me for the past two months. I laugh at myself to, to switch Yancey camp over to a full blown app system for me to invest the time for two months to learn everything and just slow my brain down and dive in with the lights off behind a laptop. It was, it's like, that is like torture for me, but it's a comp. It feels you know, it's accomplishing when you, it feels accomplished to yourself when you, when you get something like that done, but it's so challenging for my brain. So, so long story short, there's, there's a lot of things that Yancey is not good at. And, um, that, that's, uh, probably why it was so easy for me to, you know, here I am knee deep in my wrapping up my freshman year of, of, of college and, and track and doing well. When I was there, I was committed, man. I've always had that. Hey, it's today and we got to work out. Yancey's on board, dude. Let's go. I would try to win them all and, and do my absolute best. But, you know, the little bird flies by and I get distracted by the little bird. And for the next four years, I'm in the U.S. freaking Navy. <laughs> that's, that's, then, then Yancey can't be as easily distracted once you're in. I. Did, yeah. I must. Have, I don't know if I missed this or not, but did you say you had a scholarship? Yeah, but you talking about yeah, for college? You, yeah, you, were, you went. So you left all of that. I mean, that was that'd be just like the dream, like for a yeah. kid these days. So, so as far as your fitness progression goes, then and what what happened when you were in service? Was it a four years and out? Was it four years and then you stayed with it for a while? Like, how did that all end up? And then what, what did your fitness progression look like then? Well, I thought I was, I thought I was going to be a helicopter, uh, like a professional helicopter mechanic. I, I loved my work, but I, I went in, I, I go to boot camp, and I'm in phenomenal shape. I mean, I'm like, I'm probably four fifteen to four twenty mile pace, and I can run. And we're I mean, I, again, I had just left University of North Texas. I was crushing it. I, I tried out for the, the, you had an opportunity in boot camp to try out for the Navy SEAL or the, or the diver program. And they have these real tough tests and I blew through the Navy diver test and all the physical stuff. I was crushing it. And then I get to my, uh, get through boot camp and I, I get to the squadron and we have things called collateral duties. And every six months in the military, you have to, you have to pass your PT test, running, push up setups is basic PT test. It was a mile and a half run. I could smoke check that. So they're like, Yancey's in good shape. Let's put him in charge. I had never coached a day in my life. I had no certifications. I didn't know how to freaking coach my way out of a wet paper bag with a freaking butter knife. And here I am putting in, I'm putting in charge of coaching people to improve their, their mile and a half time. All I knew was I was just a good runner. So I started helping people prevent themselves from getting kicked out of the military and I, I look back and I know that I fell in love with, that was my very first coaching opportunity, even though I didn't have any certifications, but I fell in love with coaching for the two or three years that I got to work with people on doing nothing more than helping them pass their 
one one and a half mile test and their push ups and sit ups. And um, I, I dove into a full time job. Uh, I got a freaking management job. I mean, it's there's a little bit of catch me if you can. Here I am, a year left in the military, and I I'm in a management job with no management experience. And this is actually the job that when I get out, I become the general manager and um, work my way into a 16 year corporate career from this one year when I was moonlighting at this place. Um, we would do all the refueling operations at Naval Air Station Alameda. I would get off work from the Navy and go work all night long. And in the day I got out, that turned into 16 years in the, uh, in the corporate world. Um, my wife said, yeah, so you've got to write a book one day because we would need to do six hours on this podcast to take you down the wild, crazy journey. Dude, I've, I've done a little bit of everything, never been extremely focused on anything. And, and I hope I've got many more years of doing a lot more things. It's, it's a, it's a crazy adventure. I could, I could take you on Kurt. That's, I don't even know if I answered your freaking question, buddy. I apologize. Well, no, I was, I was asking about, well, no, that helped actually, but I was asking about your fitness progression, like, because you know, I came into the sport in 2016 and you were already kind of established in a sense. You'd started up Yancey camp by then and all that, right? Haven't you? 2016. Yeah. Yes, and you're kind of the guy, like when you start entering the sport, you just look for anybody to look up to and then you start following them and seeing what they're doing. So like, I know you've kept, you've kept on the fitness progression and you've, you've clearly found your way back. And I would argue if you've been doing this for that long, like your ADD or your bird or squirrel flying by, like obviously something really grabbed your attention to be doing it this long. So I just want to know, like, yeah, with all of that and through all of that, were, was there a period of time where you weren't focused on fitness and learning and leading? Or has that been since that time when you were the leader, has it been kind of all hands on deck that way? Or, or what would you say? No, but starting with my dad in middle school, high school, college, and the little bit of college and in the Navy, I, fitness never left my life. Running never left my life. Um, I have never lost that fitness that I had in high school and in, in college and, and the coaching, you know, that the military is when it started the, the day I got out and transferred down to, to Southern California. And as a general manager, I, I got my first personal training job at the YMCA. I uh, got my first, now I'm now I got my first certification. I taught senior water aerobics and stroller aerobics at the YMCA. I helped moms work out with their babies. That was that was, that was the class I taught. Continue. I was working the floor as a fitness coach and, and picking up uh, personal training and some group fitness coaching and really and truly fell in love with, with, with coaching at that point. And 1996 did my very first Camp Pendleton mud run, very first OCR, the Camp Pendleton mud run. They still do it to this day. Did really well uh, there. And of course, the whole Spartan rules. That's still that's still 10, 15 years away. But um, I was I started competing in in masters track and field. I traveled around doing that for a while. I was always if there was a local 5K or 10K or 15K or um, any unique competition, you know, participatory sports before OCR. I I was I was doing it. I played I played semi pro football for in in the in the PFL, the Pacific Coast League for the uh, San Diego North County Cheetahs, I, I hadn't gotten football out of my system, and I, uh, so I got myself up to 185 pounds, which for this five-nine frame was, was ridiculous. But Ooh. I was strong, and what were you uh, playing? I played uh, receiver and cornerback, more more safety than cornerback, but um, had a, had a freaking blast, man. Traveled around on a little bus and played all up and down California in, in the PFL for like great memories there. 
Um, but I had never stopped running and I could, um, there was probably a couple years where I got away from, from pure in, endurance running, but I, I stayed very fit. Uh, I trade, a tra I trained with a guy named Peter Goscu in Southern California, uh, down at the Pat Torrey Pines high school. Um, and then, um, when I moved back to Texas, I really, I, I got a, I found a really good track coach, Jim Colley coaches Waterloo track and field, uh, here. And I'm in my, I'm in my young to mid thirties at the time. And I got very, very serious. Not that I wasn't from, you know, throughout my twenties, I stayed very fit, but now I was really, really focused. Um, I ran some really salty 800 meter times, um, ran the Congress Avenue mile. Um, I think actually the one I'm the most proud about, I ran a, a four, I think a 434 at 40 years old. Um, it's a, it's an amazing mile it starts at the, at the Capitol and runs down, runs down the, the, the straight path all the way down to the Congress Avenue bridge. But I just got really into it. Went to, uh, uh, us, uh, masters track and field nationals, uh, several times ran in Boston and Orno, Maine did the pentathlon in Orno, Maine, freaking throwing the javelin and, and doing long jump and stuff. I was just really into I just fell in love with track and field again. You, you know, I, I, you, you nailed it. I was not in love with track and field in middle school, high school and college. I just, just something that the genetics said, Hey, you're pretty, you're, you're kind of decent at this. So, so do it. But I wasn't a track geek until probably early to mid thirties. And then I just became passionate about it. And, and ever since then, now I'm the guy, the Dallas Cowboys could be playing on TV, but if there's a track meet on the freaking track meets is what we're watching today, folks. Um, so so yeah, man, I, I give Jim Colley in my, my early to mid thirties, a, a lot of credit. I drove down to Austin from Cedar park every week for, for seven, eight years for, for like formal track practice. And uh, I, there, there, this is going to sound crazy. This, I was so off my rocker here, 32, 33. Here I was running like a, I'm 33. I'm kind of getting back into it. I run a couple two flat 800 meter runs. And I'm like, I remember telling my dad, I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make the Olympic trials and something. And, and I'm, I had this freaking crazy notion that I was going to be able to get myself and I'm working full-time corporate and all this other stuff. I'm like, I, I run a, I run a two flat 800. I'm like, man, I'm back in the game boys. And, and I look back on it now. I was like, dude, you aren't even in the same County <laughs> as the freaking guys running the state track meet in high school. <laughs> how, anyway. far did, how long did you chase that for? Did you go after it or did you get awakening soon? Like two or three years. Okay. And, and, and here I am like 30, 33, 34. And it's like, I'm still, I'd go to a meet and run like a 201, 202, two flat. And I'm like, and I mean, I'm do, and I'm at this time I've been coaching runners for a while. been working with a couple good coaches. I mean, I, I, my college coach, Ken Garland was, a, if you look at Ken Garland, he was amazing. What I got from him in a year. I mean, if I could talk to Ken right now, I would just bow down and say, thank you. Because I did invest in, that whole coaching thing was there. So I've always, if I'm listening to a coach or I'm reading a book that does slow my mind down and I will soak it in like a sponge. So I had worked with a couple good coaches. I was smart enough to know. I remember I'm like 34 and I'm like, dude, I've invested two years in this, like real two, three years. And I've been crazy committed. I'm doing everything. I'm Yancey's logging his workouts. That's not something that Yancey's really good at. I want to make sure my clients are doing it, but I'm not very good at it. And I'm like, dude, I should be dropping a low 150 by now, which by the way, still is not even in the same freaking County. And I'm dropping like a 201, 202 at me. So I'm like, we just got to just settle down and enjoy this. 
and forget about this crazy goal that you had because that ain't happening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so it, it was like, um, you know, midlife crisis. I wonder what I could have been. And it's funny. I tell people, they ask, you guys will get this. You know, how can you be in your 40s and jump into a Spartan race and 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 get and be up on the, you know, there's a couple of times I was on the elite podium in my 40s. And they're like, listen, if if you ran a 430 in high school and, and you could, you know, you had those kind of genetics and you stay, you never walked away from fitness your whole life. You can do that kind of stuff in your 40s because there's not a ton of people that are bringing decent genetics into the sport. There's a, there's a strong handful, way more now than used to be. But back in the day, you know, if you could drop a 17, 5K and you had a decent, I don't know, 1500 meter time, you could, you could spend some decent time on the podium if you cherry picked a race. <laughs> you talked about Coach Garland, Coach Cauley. Kirk and I went a while before we met a coach that positive, that impacted us from a, a knowledge base. Kirk got it in college um, and to some extent in high school. And um, I can't look back to any coach I ever had and know their philosophy. I just didn't. We never had that. But you are a Lydiard guy. You, <laughs> Yancey's running back to grab his Arthur Lydiard book. Yes. So Yan Yancey from the beginning. Look at this old sucker. The Lydiard this way. Old. Have you guys ever read this one? Oh, yeah. It's so have. good, man. It's so good. So in my experience, two, there are two things about Arthur Lydiard that people um, – they're in one of two camps. A, they either don't truly understand Lydiard. They assume he's the father of long modern long distance running. He's all about long, slow distance, and that's it. They misunderstand who he is. Or B, they were introduced to him properly by someone else. Most people don't stumble upon Lydiard. They are introduced to Arthur Lydiard. So I got to assume that either Garland or Collie was a Lydiard guy. Yes, both of them mentioned Lydiard enough to where it's like, I, I want to kind of investigate okay. this. And, and I, so I specifically um, remember that. And you, what you said is so true. A lot, I find that a lot of people start studying various programs. And then after the fact, they learn about this Arthur Lydiard guy, maybe do enough research on Lydiard and be like, whoa, a lot of his stuff is sprinkled in. It's sprinkled in all over the place. And, um, and I, I, I think, I think Lydiard was, was so far, uh, ahead of his time. And, and I loved, and you guys know uh, the, the way he used he, as himself as a Guinea pig and, and just looked at his own data for years and years and, and, and years. And there's, there, there's just nuggets that I, that, that I've, I've taken away. Um, Cause I don't look at Lydia when I think of Lydia's training, I don't look at it as dangerous. I can definitely say that, you know, you got to take some things with, with a grain of salt because it, it would be simple minded of me to say, Hey, this book from the, you know, this, this guy that did all of everything in the fifties and sixties, that's the way you got to do it. We're always evolving and getting better and learning that like what I was doing in 2015, dude, there's a lot of things that I'm doing a little different now mm -hmm. because I've, I've, I've seen athletes have do well and, and then not do well with those training cycles. And, and you, and you, you have to always change. I think it's like, as long as we have that, you know, I think Lydiard helped me build a solid foundation. I look at it this way and and while that foundation was slowly curing, you know, Lydiard is responsible for some of those pieces of rebar that, that I put into that foundation. And the foundations can be cracked and, and, and even get a little brittle on the edges. But as long as you have a decent foundation with enough rebar in it, you'll always have a place to go back to and build from. 
And I think that's, I think you guys will respect that more than anybody. It's like, you, you got to make sure you're standing on at least a, a semi-solid foundation with enough rebar in it. And because yeah. and, without rebar, the freaking concrete slabs going to fall apart. And, um, you, you know, I look at little bitty things that I learned. Perfect example. Arthur was a genius with the way he would take his athletes. And I, I, I've, I use this so much of my athletes and you guys probably do as well, but he would, you know, he would build, uh, sections of training. Like today we're doing this and he would literally like, if you stop to take a drink or if he was building a brick, you know, 15 seconds, max 12 to 15 seconds, your ass is right back out there. And, and like, and, and multiple times in his books, these things get brought up. And like with my athletes today to keep time off their feet, you know, if we're, we might do a 90 minute session today, but I'm going to, I'm going to tie in two, two or two or three other pieces or, or one to two other pieces, let's say cycling and just running to make it simple. And we're going to do 45 minutes of cycling and 45 minutes of running. And we're going to purposely make that transition time virtually nothing, just like a triathlete. We're, we're 10 to 15 seconds where the heart rate gets no level of recovery. So now what we've done, we have a 90 minute uh, session of elevated heart rate was never interrupted. Of course, 45 minutes was cycling. 45 minutes was running, but there's actually, and I don't, there's no way I'll be able to look this up right now offhand, but there's actually some research out there that says if you, the three of us take a hundred people and we, uh, 50 of them throughout the year for our long, uh, long, slow distance days or just long days in general, half, we, we, we do bricks with them and the other one that's strictly running. But as long as with our bricks, we, we don't, we allow virtually no rest as a transition to the next thing. So they both groups get 90 minutes of elevated heart rate. We, and I can't, I'll try to find the research, but the results were almost identical and the injuries for the one group were way freaking down. Now, of course, there's 15 different ways to play with those bricks. And, and, and like, and I know you guys are such, you believe in compromised running as much as I do, dude, I, I swear to gosh, I, I, I if, if somebody asked me, Yancey, what's the number one reason why you've had a little more success than some of the other coaches out there? that almost every freaking workout, 80% of them were, were doing compromised running in some form or fashion. I don't care if it's zone two, three, four, whatever. And um, gosh dang, I got a little off track there, but long story short, there's 15 different ways to build those workouts where you're, you're, you're minimizing their time on feet somewhat at certain times of the year to reduce injury. But man, you got your 90 minutes at that elevated heart rate and, and you get almost the same benefit. So that was just one specific nugget that I took from, from Lydiard that, uh, I, I remember you're reading it and you're like, you can almost feel like you're on the, on. you can hear Lydiard barking at him. You know, there's, they're stopping to get a sip of water and he's got them on a timing clock. You, you got freaking eight more seconds and get your ass going because he didn't want to have that, that, that long period of time where the heart rate drops way down. As we know, you lose some of the benefit in that session. Once that happens. Mm -hmm. I love your analogy. Uh, we use too many analogies on this podcast because we love them. And when I say we, I probably am doing Kirk a disservice. I love analogies and your rebar analogy is perfect. Lydiard, Lydiard is the rebar that runs through modern day endurance training. And he's the example that sometimes science follows coaching, which in turn follows science. He experimented and tested things out and had enough success anecdotally that science had to start testing out some things he did, which then confirmed many of it or much of it, confirmed much of it, dispelled a few points of it, but then coaching got to build off of that new piece that they found. 
but a large percentage of what Arthur Lydiard did a long time ago, off just a whim and then testing out each new whim, held true over time and formed what every coach does now. You freaking nailed it, dude. Here's the thing. I, I bet you Lydiard would even look back on some of the things and say, man, I should have done that a little differently. But, you know, his 800-meter runners, for example, they were all amazing marathon runners. And he wanted them to be amazing marathon runners. And I tell – it's so hard for me to get – you know, athletes that I coach that are 100, 200, 400, 800 meter runners, even 1500 meter runners, let's say one, two, four, and eight. It's so hard for us to get them to realize the benefit of those, those long runs. Well, Lydiard, it wasn't necessarily making them great marathon runners. So the 800 meter runners, so they could go run a great marathon, but you guys know the quality of, of workouts that they could get as they were training for their 800 and, and and how Lydiard how Lydiard could program for them and they could they could survive those workouts compared to the guy at the next country, no way in hell he was going to get through. He's doing double the number of intervals as the right. other guy, and 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 with less recovery and faster and able to progress in an eight to twelve week cycle so much differently than the guy that do, can't go out and drop the the awesome ten k or half or marathon as an eight hundred meter runner and. So there was, there was some genius there. You just have to be, you know, you, I think what happens too often in our world and, and you guys know this as well as me or better as well is the worst thing that happens sometimes is a, a, a new, a new coach will do enough running to learn enough programs. It's like, well, okay, copy and paste. And it's a bad deal, man. It's, you know, you're going to lose nine out of 10 people. They're going to be they're going to be a ball of injuries. And it's like, well, I'm using the same program that created that, that world champion. Well, nine out of 10 of our clients. And I think for me, probably 95% of my clients over the, the OCR training career don't come from crazy good genetics. They're not chasing podiums. You know, you just gotta, you, you gotta be careful, but you can, you can mesh in that philosophy just in a dramatically scaled down yeah. manner. I want to, um, I want to resume this conversation. I'm very, uh, we really want to talk about your training philosophy and some of that stuff. And you're leading us into that. But before we get to that, I do want to resume your personal story real quick about you realized you weren't going to the Olympics in the 800 meters. Yancey realized you're, you realize you're on a different planet than those guys. Yeah. What, what time for, what year are we talking when that was? Yeah, that was like 33. I was, I was already too old. Number one. Already, already like 15 plus years ago. So you're like 2000, early 2000s. Late nineties, early two thousands, and then where did your fitness progression go? Because ultimately, I want to know. Like, mm -hmm. like I'm hearing, okay, you played cornerback, you played wide receiver, you went to the pentathlon, you're running eight hundred meters, dabbling with everything, which obviously we all know now in hindsight set you up for a bit of success in this sport without even knowing it, right? Your versatility as an athlete. But what led you up to like your first Spartan race? Can you walk us through? I'm not going to go to the Olympics, or that's a silly, you know, dream to like your first race, like what happened in between there and how that first race happened? Um, so we're looking at 30, 39 will be my, so we're going to, we're going to, we're going to set the stage at 39. My very first warrior dash walk up, nail body nervous. Like everybody else, like there's freaking obstacles. So, so from the 33 to 39, my ADD brain just stayed engaged with fitness. I, you know, I would do, I would do, um, Paul Sissons, oh, Steve Sissons, who held the University of Texas 5K indoor record, 
really got me motivated. I ran all of his, uh, had some really good performances in his 10 to 30 K trail races. He puts on amazing. He doesn't even anymore. He, he now runs an amazing running clinic with his wife up in, in Colorado, Steve Sissons, amazing runner, man. Um, put, so here he is post-college and he, you know, is a running coach. He put on a lot of amazing races. So I, I did all of his races, had some great results there. So again, I kind of got that, you know, now I'm running a little longer distance and, um, the genetics are there, started having some good performances. So it was probably from 33 to 39, Kurt, probably competing anywhere from three to seven times a year, four to seven times a year in something and have, you know, you're, you're on the podium. You, you're doing, you're doing pretty well. As long as it was the right race. Um, as long as it wasn't 800 meters at freaking us nationals, <laughs> you know, I was doing pretty good locally. And, and then this warrior dash comes around. Oh, let me back up. So I, 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 here I am full-time corporate world and now I'm coaching full-time 5:30 AM morning boot camps. I, I had officially launched sculpture nutrition and fitness, Amy handling the nutrition. I'm handling the fitness side and I'm working out in the morning for an hour in the evening for an hour. And I designed my boot camps in a way where Yancey does everything with you. I'm doing two hour long workouts and getting my runs in. I'm in, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm in damn good shape. I went to Leadville 36, my only DNF in life. Freaking coming up over Hope Pass, coming up on the halfway mark, and uh, major stress fracture. Um, wasn't prepared for 100 miles in Leadville, but uh, I was I was in that kind of shape. But if, if it had been 100 miles here in Texas, I think I'd have been just fine. Um, and so then uh, 39 rolls around, and this first Warrior Dash, and I I have I have some success in the Warrior Dash. You know, it wasn't like they, they Warrior Dash did their one. Uh, where is it? I got a trophy back here somewhere. They had the, remember back and they had the warrior. It was like the 10 miler or something. Oh, they did it for one or, one or yeah. two years. Remember that? I, uh, it wasn't that the first warrior dash that I did, but I, you know, I, I won my wave. And then like a couple months later, Spartan Austin came up and I'm like, I'm coming in hot boys. We're going to drop the hammer. Is that 2010? And that was 2011. They had already, I think it was the very first year they were in Texas, but they okay. of course st started in 2010 and they were, they were, had a full head of steam. This is back when we had the big white pillars. And so you got in the sport a couple months before me. Yeah, I did my first Texas race and I, it's a true story, man. So I just come off the warrior dash where I kicked the crap out of all the obstacles. I remember finishing that Spartan and I had a pretty good time and I was pretty happy with myself, but there was a couple obstacles. I remember the Z wall, or it wasn't a Z wall. It was just a straight wall back then. I said, that obstacle is impossible. It can't be done. And, <laughs> and I, I threw the spear. I said, that's impossible too. I watched like a hundred people miss a spear. So I did my burpees on those obstacles and it still had a pretty good time. And I remember I, I had taken like 40 of our Cedar Park football players to do it. And I'd beaten them by like 20 minutes and they're all proud of me and everything. And then all of a sudden the loudspeaker comes on. So Yancey's got his time. It's like 30 something minutes. Hobie call in first place. 20. And it's like, it was like nine minutes, nine or 10 minutes in a sprint. Like a different, he's in a different County. Right. I'd, I'd like to go look that up. It might've even been 10 plus. And I remember saying, Whoa. Um, but that was, that was my first, that was my first Spartan race. And then I just dove in and did every frick. I did it all backwards. My, um, you know, I think, I think I did two races that year. My, then I dove in and did the, the ultra beast and then the death race, you know, you're supposed to go sprint, super beast, slowly work your way in. I, you know, I was like, I was addicted. I was like, what's the hardest thing? Ultra beast. We're doing that 72 hour death race. We're doing that. And 
I was just doing probably like Bracken, probably trying to race as much as Bracken was back then. And Elliot, I mean, nobody was racing as much as Elliot, but oh, man, man, I was all, if I had the money, this is a kind of a cool true story. When I started the Yancey camp, if I had the money, I was going to be there. And uh, that's why I started coaching. One of the reasons is I, I loved coaching, but I was like, I want to make a little, I want to make a little, little side cash. But um, that got me to 39, Kurt. That was a long, ridiculously too long answer from 33 to 39, my friend. I apologize. No, that wasn't too long at all, actually. That was, that Six makes years sense. To me. And five minutes, that's acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's the phase I sat in from like 2006 to 2016 was like, I knew I loved fitness. I knew I enjoyed competition. I knew I wanted to stay and be fit. So I picked random things along the way, did life on the side as well and worked my career and then eventually fell in love with it and turned it into a career is what exactly happened to me. We follow a very same similar trajectory. I came from the corporate world before this as well. So I, I totally get that. Uh, this leads me into, I guess, a natural curiosity then is when did you realize your training had to change in order to get better at this sport? Um, my, my personal training. I assume, I assuming it had to change. If the Z wall went from impossible to. Yeah. Know, so, not. so a year, a couple years of packing in as many races as, as possible. You quickly, I quickly learned early in that, that, you know, again, I'd been coaching for a while, boot camps and running specific coaching. And I, I started working in, I started doing compromise running before we called it compromise running. You know, I just, and, and I've never stepped away from this. I started coaching myself as where at least a couple of my workouts each week kind of look like a race, except I wasn't racing them. You know, it wasn't, you know, I'm kind of in the 70, 30, 80, 20, where, you know, 20, 30% of the time, you know, only 20, 30% of the time do you need to be going, you know, semi-race mode where, where you're really up there and you need some serious recovery time after that workout. Um, but I was building, you know, I, I was even, I would kind of race my strength training and, but I would, I would settle back in the zone two, zone three with the running and I just started dabbling, building workouts. And I'm, and as you guys know, when you come from the running world, coaching and building and programming workouts, it was so freaking fun, dude. There was no, it's endless. I mean, I just launched my 900th workout on Yancey camp and every single one on purpose is a little different. If you ever become a copy and paste coach, except for like time trials and certain things, if you ever become a copy and paste coach, you are getting flat out lazy. Because I mean, serious, there are so many ways to tweak a workout just this much where the client says, wow, that was kind of cool. Well, you accomplished the exact same thing, but you just groomed it a little bit. So they got something new. So, so early on, I realized that, okay, grip and pull shrink, lack of grip and pull shrink, grip and pull shrink endurance was causing most of the obstacle failure, light bulb moment, started working a lot of that in there. The ops, the only obstacles that take a long time to complete are carries and crawls. Everything else is pretty fast. So if it, those are the obstacles where I can, if I specifically train that, I can buy big chunks of time. I became a really, I mean, at a hundred and I'm 165 pounds now at 160, 165. I mean, I could carry with, I don't care who, when I was in, when I was 42, 43, I, I would have. I would have said, I, I no way I could have come close to beating Hunter McIntyre in a race or anybody else that was a good at carry, but I would take anybody on. Even at 49, you know, in a U.S. National Championship Series, as long as I could step in at that point, let's say, you know, I'm going to be able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the people that would carry. So I worked it so freaking hard. And my clients, we work it hard because, again, really and truly, you know, now we're getting down to really fine-tuning. Let's buy two to three seconds on the twister or this or that. But for the most part, for people just trying to get a little better, or even even for the pros for that matter, 
the only areas to buy huge chunks as far as obstacles are concerned are carries and crawls. And there's only going to be one crawl, maybe two in certain races, but there's going to be a couple carries in the big races. And dude, you could races are won and lost. So it all came down to, I quickly realized it came down to light bulb moment. I've got to race clean. I got to be semi-proficient on the obstacles and I got to be a bat. Cause you know, at that time from, from 40 on, I've never been pro I've never ran a 5k probably faster than a 1730, 1715, 1730. So I didn't, I wasn't coming in with this ridiculous 5k time. So, but if I was obstacle clean, was really good on the carries, could fly through the crawls, not failing obstacles and run decent. I was always going to be in the game. I was going to be in the mix. And really and truly, there's a lot of people in the mix at a pretty high level guy wise. They're even on that 17, 17 level 5k because they obstacle really well and they can, they're good at buying seconds, man. You're good at buying seconds. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, I'll tell I'm, you that you were responsible for, and you don't know this, but a lot of what I do in my personal training myself and then with others because of what I've witnessed your athletes do on course. And you and I have never really even talked about this, but early on, Isaiah and Glenn changed the way I trained because they crawled and approached obstacles differently than I did. And going back to the first Spartan Combine, both Isaiah and Glenn flew through the first barbed wire crawl time trial we had. And then on course, I'd see them just drop me on barbed wire crawls. And yeah, Isaiah's short and Glenn's not tall, but they're not thin guys. Isaiah's never going to be mistaken for small. And yet he could fly through the crawls. And I, I didn't know it was because of you, but it was because of the way that they attacked it with a practice deficiency that I realized those are two areas I have to practice now. So your athletes on course, those two specific people changed what I view as important in OCR. Yeah. And it's, I think it's when, when you break it down semi-scientifically, you know, we, we don't go a year without working. I mean, most of my athletes will say they've puked two or three times in, in, in a Yancey crawl workout and, and that's uh crawling, you know, where and sometimes I'll make them, we, we tie it to where it's a crawl and a roll and a crawl and a roll, you know, it's eight sessions of four minutes of running and then this, this, and this. And, and so eight times you're crawling and rolling. Um, you are just going to be so mentally prepared to freaking attack that obstacle. And, and you, you're right, dude. You can buy you can buy 20 to 30 seconds in, in, in a crawl easy on, on, on another elite. And, and um, anyway, go ahead. Oh, from 2013 to 2015, I took I, – I changed from surviving courses and training to survive them to this is now tactical warfare. And I took, I'd wear a watch on course and I would take a split always. I counted the entire course for probably a year and a half. I remember you doing that. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, I'd come into something and I'd glance when, let's say, if Isaiah was ahead of me, I'd glance when he entered the barbed wire crawl and I'd start my watch going. And then when I came out of it, I'd time to the next um, visual point on the course. I'd be like, I lost 11 seconds there. And boom, marker in my, because we didn't have Strava then, so we couldn't set up splits yeah. like that. Or if I was ahead of Glenn coming into something, I would take a note. I'd be like, I just passed that tree right before the crawl or the carry at 2111. And I'd glance back. He just passed it at 2130. And then coming out of it, I timed everything for a year and a half. And I, I started realizing your athletes, I could outrun Isaiah, let's say by 15 seconds over a mile. And he'd take it all back on the, on barbed wire crawl. And suddenly, you're, like you said, if you're stealing seconds here and there, you're outrunning your speed. 
it's such a great conversation. It's, it's selfishly, I, I don't know if early on in my, my career, my coaching career with OCR, I would have like been so, f I love talking about it now. There's, we got We got to get to the point where we want to help everybody. And you like, you guys are helping. I'm a firm believer that people that focus so much on being the best running coach, they can be pure running coach and athletes that get themselves, their brain clouded around. You have to be a great runner to be a great OCR athlete. It holds people back from allowing themselves to dive into some of the proper training they need to do at least a few cycles a year, worst case scenario, or at least meshing it into one day of your eight or 12 week cycle of each one of those weeks, at least make one worst case scenario. There's, I mean, I get in this debate sometimes with people and it's like, mo I think most people now that don't really think about it intently say, well, the greatest runners are the ones doing the winning. No, 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 no. The greatest runners are the ones that continue to fail to win. Seriously. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, you got to be a really good runner to be in the game. I would take, I mean, I, I use Alex Walker, man. She is not ever going to be a great runner, but she is one of the best in the sport right now. She has become one of the absolute best in obstacle proficiency. She does everything well. You can throw her to course like Tahoe. It's like no freaking problem. We're not failing anything today, boys. And like you said, you can just take those chunks and vaporize them of the person that runs the 16, the female that runs the 16K when you're 16, 5K and you're running a 1730, no harm, no foul. So I think athletes need to, and some of the coaches need to do a better job at saying, let's mesh it versus, man, what's your 5K? We got to get that 5K, 5K time down. Or it's like, you know, we, we see the Renee's, the Tia's. I had a wonderful opportunity to work with Tia. And, and I remember saying, hey, let's, or, or like uh, Lauren Stroud and those types. I'm always, because you're like me, Bracken, you probably you as well, Kurt. Even if I'm never going to coach you, I just want to help you. It's like, let's do a couple stadium races. Mm -hmm. Let's do a couple stadium races. Easy obstacles. Feel good about yourself. Let your running, that epic running potential, that your running talent that you have, really show it off and tackle some obstacles that you can tackle and slowly mesh into those obstacles where, because you're going to fail a lot of them right now. You, you, you passed everything at the sprint, but the, here comes the twister and here comes the Olympus and here comes all this beater and stuff and you're going to fail these things because you're not used to it. You haven't had a couple years of acclimating yourself to attacking something like that with high heart rate. Yeah, you can go in the gym right now and you've got your – your coach has got you doing 15 pull-ups when your freaking heart rate is 55. That's useless out on course, ladies and gentlemen. That's going to get you nowhere. What can you do nine sessions into a workout when you've gone back to that bar or back to that whatever, you know, nine times when every time you're you're not happy that you have to do this again and you're hanging on for dear life and week one of that 12-week training cycle, you couldn't do it by week 12? Dude, you're... Your running is five percent faster, and you're not you're getting through all of the grip and pull strength, grip and pull strength, endurance portions of the compromise, and you and you're jumping right back on to the run. It's just it becomes. I think it helps as much mentally as it does physically. When I started doing that type of training, back to your initial freaking question, Kurt, I got the rabbit hole, Yancey. When I first started doing that training, and now all of a sudden I had a couple of years of doing that. Man, every part of my racing was better. I found myself coming into obstacles really excited, <clears throat> like geeked up, like, dude, I'm going to attack it. And I don't care that my heart rate's 170. There was a two-year session, two-year period when I was really on my game. I didn't, uh, I got to bring it up. I actually beat Bracken in a battle frog. <laughs> I was beating these people in battle. I was beating these 
people in battle frogs that I had no business. I would never beat in, in, in a Spartan, but I would find myself here. I'd come to this rig or something where I'm in like ninth place. And all of a sudden I'm passing like two or three or four people that there's no way they're like in a different County in a Spartan race. But I went for a two year period where I never failed an obstacle, never failed a Spartan obstacle. I made it to like three or four battle frogs and kept my van OCRWCs and kept my van. And, and it was just that, that intense focus with my clients. And you know how it is. You, you like to go test a lot of your workouts. So I was getting a lot of them in and I was able to accomplish workouts at a high heart rate. And I always say this is one key piece that's so dang important is how fast, and this, this comes with training, how fast can you get back to a strong tempo pace after you complete the obstacle? So many of the good runners that, okay, you got the guy that runs a 15, the girl that runs a 1630, and you see him going into that nine mile shuffle jog for the first hundred meters after the obstacle, when the guy or girl that runs a 17 and an 18, it's right back to their 17 and 18 tempo. They're tempoing right after that obstacle. And these runners are not used to that. As a, you know, as a, as a pure runner, a 5K road, you don't even want to jump over a pecan in the road. That's going to throw you all off. You know, you're like your heart rate spikes because you jump over a branch. I've been there, man. I know you're, you're just riding that, riding that lactate threshold line. And anything that comes at you is like, that sucked. So you got you to gotta train it to get better at that. You would think Yancey listens to our podcast because <laughs> he just echoed everything we preach constantly. I mean, if there wasn't a more of a mirror of, of conversation, you, you've you listened to 10 or 15 of our episodes, but I, I'm going to tell you, we'll make you proud with our conversation if you listen to some of our other episodes, because the things you just said, we probably said a dozen times, haven't we, Bracken? Yeah. All of that. We couldn't agree more with that philosophy. Kirk, well, I know I you have was... a follow-up, but I, I want to echo something Yancey said there that I think was, mm -hmm. Yancey, you said it because you said it for years, you said it and moved on. But I think a lot of people need to hear it right now. You said that people approach the bar, not wanting to be on it anymore by that ninth round. And that the mental change of approaching the bar can be as powerful as the actual physical skill of approaching the bar. And that's, I think, really powerful because a lot of people practice their grip in a situation where failure doesn't matter or isn't really a possibility. But everyone gets to a point on course where you're not happy to be approaching Twister or a rig or something crazy. And getting to that point in training where you consistently approach your bar when you don't wanna be on it, is that mental switch to, now I can approach a rig when I don't wanna be on it because it's not fearful anymore to eventually, like you said, now I'm gonna attack this rig because what can this rig do to me that it hasn't already done to me in training? Yeah, so so true, man. It's the the and and, and if you program it right, um, you know you can't go in zone four, zone five with all your all your workouts every day with running every week. But you can get sneaky with grip training, and and I've for for since I launched Answer Camp, the sneaky thing I do is I gamify at least a couple times a week. I gamify the grip and pull strength, grip and pull strength endurance piece that's actually worked into the workout. So let's say it's eight sessions a day. To keep it simple, we're doing a four-minute run, and then we're to the bar. Well, I can gamify that the the bar piece. We're, we're not going to race the run piece, but every time you go back to that bar, it's actually a little bit of a test. And I want to know how you did on that test, especially round seven and eight, because those were actually, you know, that was twister, monkey bars, rope climb, beater, Olympus. That was all those things that people fail. And, and you get to, like you said, you get to where, when you get to where you can attack it, 
um, as an age grouper, um, as, as an elite, or, or with crazy conditions like Tahoe and you're not worried about it, you know, even when it's soaking wet and you know that when you get your fingers bent like this, they're like claws. I don't care if it's Vaseline on the bar. If, I, if I'm like that, I'm not coming off. And, and when you get there, it's, it's, so, it, it's so important. And man, th think about, I remember reaching out to Miriam. It was like a desperate reach out, 2015 or 16. And I said, Miriam, you don't have to pay me. You, I, I will, you don't have to tell a soul I'm working with you. I swear, just give me one year behind the scenes. You never have to tell a person. Just let's dive into your grip and pull, grip and pull strength endurance training and, and working into your running. And I think you could be the best the sport has ever seen. And I, I think at some point in time, she actually started doing that. She was so sweet. She's like, oh, but you know, I'm not, not right now. And she was amazing. I love that. That's like, she's like mother freaking Teresa. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and I remember there, there's so many that Ryan Woods early on, there's so many people we can go down. It's like, dude, they went through that. They were just failing things. And a good runner that doesn't fail anything is a crazy obstacle proficient is always over the course of the year going to do better than a great runner that's never running clean races. You just, it's just the way it is. And, and I, I don't think most people look at it that way. It's like, I got to become that great runner. You need to get obstacle proficient first as you're improving your running. Don't ever lose sight of the obstacles. This is obstacle racing. And that's why I think VJ is going to be, VJ is going to be very hard to beat. And he's slowly mm -hmm. going to get better and better as in those longer distances because he's a damn good runner and he obstacles as good as the best out there. Yeah. So I want to dive just a little bit more into your mind when it comes to putting these workouts together, Yancey. Um, when I, when I officially had a high, high, high amount of respect for you was actually through your athlete, Ryan Kent. Um, it was a 2018 uh, national series and Ryan was injured claiming to only run like 10 or 15 miles a week. And he came out and he took second in San Jose in the first U S national series. And then he won Seattle as the second U.S. National Series race. In fact, I think he played a phone call or a voicemail you left him uh, on a different podcast. I don't recall, but it was very endearing. But point being is I know you were coaching him at that time, and he was – if you look at paper and you look how much he was running, he should have been out of the top 10. And now he's winning U.S. National Series races on an injured body. You take a guy like that, and that might have been his best fitness in this sport when he was running the least. What – where did you start with that programming and what was your like thought process? Because the proof was in the pudding. Ryan ran fantastic. So I, how did that work? I think first we have to look at the, the, the piece that we just talked about for a bit. We had to come at it from a, we, we, we've got to gain ridiculous confidence on the obstacles. Cause you know, Ryan was, he was, he was always like, you're watching him on TV and there'd be a, there'd be an obstacle failure on something that he, he just, he shouldn't fail at that level. You shouldn't fail. Uh, he was coming off of things and it would just, you know, it is, it, that's, dude, that's two, three, four, five spots. You come off of something now because most guys just don't feel anything. Um, it was a very similar approach with Rhea um, when we were, when, after her first world stuff was mutter and we were like, and, and, and actually Spartan, it was like, we, we've got to, we've got to improve on the obstacles. We've got to get much more confident. And, and I'm, I, without trying to talk about it, like it's some big science project, it was working in, the compromised running sessions when we were doing, when you were doing, you know, my three workouts the, the week, um, at least two of those were going to be. So, so during that, so let's say Ryan, in this case, we're taking a 15, 20 mile week. 
those, those miles are going to be very purposeful, not a single wasted mile, which would be insanity, would be insanity. Um, and, and also mesh in some, you know, some of the things we talked about earlier, where if we can build some kind of brick, something else you can do in the gym and, and then maybe get 15 minutes of running in, but it turns into 45 minutes of elevated heart rate, but it's only a couple miles, no harm, no foul. We got that. And during that 45 to 60 minute workout, we broke it up into five, six, seven pieces. And guess what? We were going to that bar, you know, or it was the first two pieces were bar work and then we were heavy carry work and, and then nine rounds. So it was six times of, of grip and pull strength, grip and pull strength, endurance work and in three sessions of two sessions, two or three sessions of, of carry work. Um, so it was just really intriguing. I like to say every single second that we spend must translate out on course. If we are doing something and it really, it's no different than my, my athletes that are full-time corporate, corporate career and they only get two or three, May best case scenario, four days of workout a week. If every single, because in a way, Ryan was kind of in that situation. We couldn't couldn't train for six, seven days a week. If we're wasting one second, we're 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 spinning our wheels. So it was like, hey, this workout that you see right here, I promise you, the thirty minutes that I took to create it, it's it's all about translating out on course at that next U.S. National Championship Series race, or for Raya to where we can go twenty four hours at World's Toughest Mudder and fail a fewer number. Uh, just at least minimize obstacle failure. So I think it's, I think, I think, you know, sometimes we, we get too caught up in like, well, the elite training must look different than the open and the, in the, in the age group really. No, uh, it can be very similar in that the, the open and the age group can see like, I am training with the elites, but it, it's just going to, how they're accomplishing that workout is going to be obviously when you go, if you were, if you were there watching it happen, it would feel much different but I can give them a very, very similar workout because it, it's all based around when you're with coach Ansi's workout, man, we're going to pinch those minutes and you, you're going to give me an hour. And this freaking hour is going to translate. So that's kind of, it's kind of elementary the way of looking at it, but that's extremely important. I just remember though, that the thing about it. So I'm, you know, I'm running like three or four days a week. I'm constantly in that boat myself and piecing it together. I'm very happy with my results considering my low run volume right now. But I remember watching the, the replays of those races after they were done, Ryan was running fast. Like it did translate like something like it was his, he was running away from people for, for Ryan. Like, okay. So we negated the failure of obstacles, but like he was still like probably running faster than he ever had before too. So there's gotta be a little bit of secret sauce, right? Like we talk about this all the time and it's Mm -hmm. part of why I think I can compete even though I don't run high volume right now, but like it was his running that I was most impressed with off the least amount of running he had done. So I just find that like very, very noteworthy and worth the conversation. And I've, I've, I'll be honest, I've had to lean in on this multiple times and I'm sure you guys have as well. When, when you hear what I have to say here about that question, you can get away with that when you have somebody that, that has, they've been doing it for, you know, they're coming in with 15 years of running base and now they're, they're, they're not in a situation where they can have 40, 50 mile weeks. With very specific workouts, man, you can sharpen speed and speed endurance really quick. It takes years to build the base. It's this whole cliche answer, but man, we can take anybody that's coming to us. We can sharpen them up pretty darn fast. So I think it wasn't like, I don't think Ryan was doing anything bad. Ryan's actually, he's got a really good head on his shoulders when it comes to programming. I mean, he could step away for six months and do his own thing. I don't, he's just, he's really good. I think sometimes like me i love having somebody i love being able to turn my coach brain off sometimes and say bracken just gave me a workout just just shut up and do it that feels really good as a coach sometimes 
So we were doing, you know, two workouts a week that they were damn sure going to sharpen up your speed. You're damn sure going to be able to, okay, there over these next two miles, there's going to be six obstacles, seven obstacles, and there's going to be 200 meters to four or 500 meters between them. We're dropping freaking hammer. We're going to be able to go. It is tempo because the way we built those workouts where it's like, Hey, it's nine, 10 sessions and it's four or 500 meters in between. And it's only once or twice a week, but man, they are purposeful. And so you build that confidence of running fast. And guess what? Now I'm jogging back over to the bar and I'm doing this. What Yancey just had me do was way harder than twister, beater, monkey bars, all the stuff that it was way harder. I was on the bar for twice the time than I would be for any grip and pull strength obstacle that Spartan would ever throw at me. I spent at least twice the time on the bar and nine freaking times I had to go back to that treadmill and do, we were freaking, we, we were turning and burning. So now if, if we said, Hey, let's, let's do that for three straight years. That ain't going to work. That's not going to work. You, you, you know, you can't, you can't ride that semi injured way for three years and, and make that work. That's going to be a recipe for disaster, but you can darn sure get away with it to kind of get yourself through a season and have a, have a pretty good level of, of success. Yeah. You, you seem to really grasp that, that ability to take what you have, maximize it for a while and come back to it when it needs refreshing. I think that obstacle work, crawl work, carry work is kind of like downhill work. You have yeah. to front load your ability to do it technically and handle it in a race, but then you have to check in on it for a while. You can go a couple of weeks without it. You check in and you you still maintain that 90 to 95% of what you built in that block you put in. But eventually you've got to come back to it during the season and put in another mini block. And you've referenced that a couple of times. We may crawl a couple of times a year and then you just touch on it for a while. That's, that's something that sometimes, you know, you talk about going back to some of your Lydiard roots. He was a bit of not just the father of endurance training, but taking periodization and putting it into running. And you have that natural feel for how to periodize obstacle readiness. Dude, hang on. Check it out. <laughs> Yancey's going to get more books. You know somebody uses their books when they can go right to the shelf where they want to grab it. The Godfather. So, so Bumpa. Oh, Tudor Bumpa. Can you imagine, can you imagine, I've always said I would give anything if we could snap our fingers and have him in his prime in OCR, he would have a freaking field day because it would, everything is so black and white in most sports and it's like, okay, in four years we have this, the Olympics or world championships this year and it really created, like remember when I said in OCR it's important not to be a copy and paste coach, one, because you want to be a good coach, but if you get caught into copy and paste coach with all the, I mean, look at the changes and how everything is, you gotta, so Bumpa would have had a, cause he loved periodization. Obviously he would have had a blast building cycles and manipulating them and, and that kind of stuff. So I think that's why we love, I, you know, I, I still love running coaching by itself, but come on, put me on the truth serum. That's nowhere near as fun as building training cycles and OCR, man. That's this, it, that will never get old. You go to train someone for a 5K or a 10K and you can do some many, many micro, like in-depth tweaks to their plan. And from you step back and look at their plan next to their teammates, it doesn't look a whole lot different. Year to year, yeah, course yeah. to course, track to track. Mm -hmm. The fun part is tinkering. And you don't get to tinker with the specific workouts a whole lot on the track. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think it's... um 
you know, what we said early on in the podcast is I want, I mean, if the best up and coming obstacle course racer on the planet called one of us three right now and said, Hey, will you guys, can you guys, you guys willing to work with us? I've, I've made it a point early on. And even as early as 2015, when I launched, it's, it's like, listen, and sometimes an, a, an elite level runner that wants to be good in OCR doesn't take this the right way. I'm going to make sure over the life of our, of us working together that when you wake up, when you're 60 or 70 years old, you're going to look back at your OCR career and you're going to say, I really freaking enjoyed that. And, and that's going and, and I'm a, so here I am getting ready to coach you. And I want you to know that that's a huge, that's got like several pieces of rebar in my foundation that 30 years from now, when I wake up, one of your main goals as my coach is to make sure I enjoy this. Dude, I just want to win. But I, I've learned over the years, all the combination of dad and a great high school coach and a college coach that I got for one year. And my old, I got lucky that I didn't have any radicals. I had people that I think they may have said it differently, but every one of them believed in that. Well, of course, I believe in the importance of that now. And I think when you can wake up at the end of the year, after world championships or whatever and say, gosh, I enjoyed the year. And, and you and you can do your best as a coach to minimize injuries because you guys know it's so important to sometimes just getting through the year unscathed. You're going to have a great year. You, you know what I'm saying? So I, I just, that's a big piece is if, if, if I ask them, are, are you enjoying your training right now? And, and a lot of times like, ah, not really. You know, I, and that's why I'm reaching out for coach. Like we're going to enjoy this. And yeah. so I think like I will purposely, I, I was accused early on, and sometimes when people aren't looking at everything you're doing, you know, and I mean, I love looking at other people's stuff, but I don't have the time to sit down and look at every single thing you guys are doing. Even if you offered it to me, I'd tinker around with it, but we just don't have time for that. People don't understand everything you're doing and why you're doing it. I would, I would get critiqued because people are like, you know, you're doing too many things that are like, feel like a race. Well, because what would happen is, is I would do something like one of my fun, really cool workouts that would go semi-viral, like my 54 270 or my, my burp 400. Well, I make sure at least once a month, I'm going to throw something at you where you get to go freaking turn yourself inside out. And like, it's freaking race mode because I know you're not racing every week and it's fun to race and kind of get people to come out to the park with you or the track and do it with you. And let's go, let's go full blown puke mode. And, and I would, and then of course people blow it up all over social media, freaking 179 people did Yancey's whatever. And it's like, well, he's always driving them into the ground. Dude, that was that wasn't every day. That's just like I, I think it's important to enjoy it. And and most of us like cranking it up. I mean, I'm guilty of. I'll be honest. I I'm not a, because I come from the 800, 1500, 1600 meter world. I'm not a big fan of the freaking three hour workout. I'm not a big fan of long slow distance. I know I got to get it in, but I love cranking it up sometimes and really seeing how I did compared to the last time I did that. Mm-hmm. And and most nine out of ten clients are going to enjoy that as well, especially if it's not the same thing every time. It's like I got seventeen of these things in my bag of tricks, and I'm going to create seventeen more next year to keep it fun. I I just think that's important. And the cool thing about it is, all of a sudden, the elites and the opens that I'm working with, they're like, we're not that far apart. You know, we're we're, we're kind of the same. You you made an interesting decision with Yancey Camp, which was you went with what Kirk and I agree is the most intelligent route for what you wanted to do, which is for lack of better terms, the Netflix model. Mm-hmm. You don't charge good. a huge price point to enter. And so everything you provide is of value, but you also have to keep that carousel of titles refreshed. Otherwise, if every time someone logs into Netflix and the same shows are staring back at them, 
even if they're all good shows, you need spice and variety because you're not tuning into Netflix to get your film uh, school PhD. You're tuning in to improve your life. And most people that want to come to a Yancey camp are not going to be world champs, but they need to be the champ of their world. They want to be the best possible athlete they can be. And there's two ways to do that. You can be the happiest athlete or you can be the most prepared with every single T crossed and I dotted. But that route leaves people burnt out. And the happiest athlete often underperforms on race day because if they're only happy in training, only happy, every day is a blast, they're not totally prepared. And you are good at mixing them. You give them the confluence of the two, which is, I understand that you have to be happy and prepared. And you're never going to be totally prepared if you have no hardship. And you're never going to be totally happy if all you are is prepared. It's like that that right in the middle mix. And I think you nailed that with Yancey Camp. But people can look at that and say, I'm going to take a snapshot and say, that is Yancey's training. Well, that's not the way an endurance athlete works. There is no snapshot that tells the entire picture. It's you have to see what you did in base period and what you did at championship season and everything in between to know what your scope was. So anyways, I, I always feel bad for coaches if they get judged on a snapshot, but I've always felt confident that you err on the side of keeping people fit and happy. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I, I, I don't I, really and truly, I, 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 you know, I think the mental conditioning side of it is 51 plus percent. And if, if I ever lose sight of that, you know, every, with every workout you get, I actually mesh in a mental conditioning message. Now they're called Yancey's Daily Dose of Awesome. And I, they've changed over the years, but that's just a 10 minute workout where I'm talking to you the whole time. And it's for all levels. If you want to work in it as a bonus, but I, I, I want to, I love the mental conditioning piece of it. It serves me. Um, I'm not certified in any type of counseling, psychology, and psychiatrist. I probably a psychiatrist. I probably say that once a week, just to, to kind of laugh at myself that I'm no pro. But I just love, as Matthew McConaughey says, localizing with people. I, if you take that away from me, I'm done in the world. I love to communicate, and if I have a little nugget that I can share that's worked into your workout in the way it, it gets you through the day as you're going through this brutal session that, that, um, I think that's important. I think that kind of builds that slow process of waking up when you're 60, 70 and say, man, I enjoyed the process. I'm a little better version of myself today because something that coach said or the way he, he did it. And yeah, really and truly it was just, you know, like, like what happens to a lot of decent coaches is you get to, okay, now there's 20 that want full time and I don't want to keep taking them on. Or it's going to dilute the heck out of what I'm doing. I got to come up with a system I talked to my web team and I was like, I, we got to come up with a system where I can give people a nice taste of what these, these few athletes are getting and, and make it be, you know, nine out of 10 people, three good workouts a week. When you put your head on the pillow at night on Sunday, if that's all you got in, this is kind of my motto. If you get my three workouts in and you go through this specific week and all you do is that and Sunday night, you're like, that's all I got in. That was a good week. When you can say that, you know, and I can't, I never, I will never say that about, well, that's, that's what I coach Alex Walker on. Hey, just get three sessions. That's not going to cut it. But nine out of 10 people in Yancey camp are not even dreaming about trying to be top five at Tahoe, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Or, or win national championship series like Ryan. Um, but if I get that three and Hey, you know, if I get a bonus in fourth day, freaking awesome. Got a bonus. That's going to work very well. Cause again, every second that was, it was in those three workouts was purposeful and I also coached you how to 
scale it down depending on what level you're in. And you still kind of got to do what Ryan or Alex did for a few of their workouts um, th this week. So it's been a fun model, man. And um, it, 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 um, it, it, it has become semi, semi full-time. It has to, but I, uh, at least I can do it. I can do it in the airport. I can, if I've got a laptop and a connection, man, I can, I can connect with the people. I am. Um, I want to ask one thing that I wanted to get to today to make sure we got to before we wrapped up. It doesn't necessarily go with the flow of this conversation at the moment, but um, uh, you're one of, you're the most positive guy in our sport. Let's just put it that way. Right. I think the most optimistic, encouraging um, guy in our sport, but you like, you had some, some health struggles of your own, right. Through this, through your journey. And you haven't once mentioned them through all of this. And I just want to know like what, what, you experienced there and how you are still who you are, I guess. Um, so I, I don't even know necessarily what happened to you, to be honest. I just know yeah. that there was a period of time. And so I think it would help people get to know you a little bit, to know a little bit more about that. Yeah. So 2016, uh, actually let me back up a little bit. So my, my mother and father, uh, had, uh, luckily they started getting their colonoscopies when they were 40 instead of 50, like most people, they say, wait till you're 50. At, when they were 40, they started getting them. And the, the gastroenterologist would, would find a random polyp. And, mm. and they would and when you get a colonoscopy, they remove the polyp. They take it to biopsy. And it's like, oh, it's all good. Or you have cancer. It's going to be one of the two. Well, any polyp will eventually turn into cancer. Maybe you get it when you're 45. It might wait till it's 60, 65. It might wait two years um, if they're rapid. So I at 35, I got very aggressive. I said, I'm going to start going at 35. 35 colonoscopy, no uh, no polyps. 40, two polyps, no cancer. All good. 44 and a half. Don't tell me why, but I, again, I would just, and, I, and I, I go into coaching people. There's so many cancer screens out there. Do your freaking screens. I decided to go in six months early, find a polyp. 45 and a half. No, 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 no. Yeah, 45. I didn't go in early. Maybe a couple months early. I was 45 and found a polyp. It's cancerous. Um, go in, uh, actually, let me, let me back up. It throws you for a loop. So gastroenterologist comes out and is like, um, but when they came back from pathology, you've, you've got cancer. And I was like, my wife was traveling in California, rug rip right off, right off Monday. Oh, those are the words. You never want to hear that sentence. That's the sentence you never want to hear. Nothing special about me. There's, there's thousands, it happens to thousands of people all the time around the country and the, in the world, millions. Um, but it rips the rug right off money when you've been, well, like I said, you've never gone more than two days in your life without training and working out. And all of a sudden it's like you're diving in. So that day when pathology came back, they're like, we're going to go in and, and we're going to do a, a gastro resection. We're going to take out eight inches of large intestine. We're going to go four inches above where we pulled the, where we cut the polyp out and four inches below. So luckily you've got a decent chunk of large intestine. They took about 25%. I give or take, I don't know of my large intestine. I had a, what's called a Da Vinci surgery where these robot, these arm, four arms go in and these little, the guy does a hundred percent of the surgery with behind a laptop computer and these little finger controllers. And these nurses are putting in these little things through these tubes that are in my belly. So it's actually crazy non-invasive when you think about what was done. Eight inches of large intestine, about 35 lymph nodes. They want to get as many lymph nodes around there as possible because that's where it goes next. And then it becomes stage when it's in the lymph nodes, it's stage three. If it gets to the organs, it's stage four. Um, so they found it in three lymph nodes. So when it's in your large intestine, it's in the lymph nodes. It's hard to say exactly 
you know, you just don't know at that point. No doctor in the world really knows. Is like, listen, we need to we need to do chemo. Um, there's a slight chance that, that you could be 100% good to go, that we got everything, um, but that's a slight chance. And, and so we dove into six months of, of chemotherapy. Um, you know, I, I would say to anybody that survived, and, and I, I don't want to do a disservice to, to any family members out there that's ever lost somebody, anybody that survived it, it's the greatest gift. Cancer and, and, and the chemo and all of it's an amazing gift. And I am, I would like to think that I was a decent person that had my shit together prior, but I look back at every single thing before that journey and I was 50% of myself of, of who I am now as far as just trying to pinch the life out of every single day because those six months, everything they say about chemo is just freaking real, dude. It's it's brutal. Um, I remember I remember jogging down the mountain with Bracken in 2017 after finishing chemo and that was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but but. You're on cloud nine. After you finish that, you're on cloud nine. And I was running faster than I've ever run, man. I remember being all, and I'm running with Bracken. And I'm feeling good right now. But I, I went to Tahoe. I'm sorry. I went to World's Toughest Motor that year on full-blown chemo. Um, um, I was, um, let me back up. That was 2016. And I, I just had a chemo session three days prior to running down that mountain with, uh, I, I was off. You're, you're talking when we were we were spectating the world championship. And we were bombing of, down in 2000. Yep. It was probably a mile, mile and a half. We we ran together mm. um, in 2016. Okay. And and um, but long story short, it's six months up. You know, you go in on Tuesdays, you get your chemo, and then you have this week of disaster, and then you kind of come out of it, and you have a decent week, and you're trying to get a little exercise in, and it was it was a roller coaster ride. Um, and but but I'll go back to what I said. It's Anybody that's had a near-death experience or survived something like that, when you hear them say it, it is a gift, that's a very, very real thing. People lose people all the day, so I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way. It's just, um, and and I use that as a coach. Like if I give a motivational talk to a group of kids or at a graduation speech or something, I always tell people the magic is if you can have that gift. I firmly believe that everybody that's never been through something like that can be that better person where I was on the other side of it than they were before I went into it. It's like, what do I need to do right now today to try to be that better person now without having to go through near death or the freaking six months, nine months of cancer and six months of chemo that just, dude, it, it rips away all of the, all of you that's not good and genuine and real. It strips you of that. And you have this ridiculously clear vision of you got to be better because life, you thought it was precious. Dude, when, when you were standing there, let me paint the real life picture. Let's really try to serve people, listeners here. When you've got two kids, like like Bracken, and when and you've got kids that are right there in front of you and a wife, and you're in your you're in your mid-40s, and just like that, it's like, whoa, dude, there's a de- decent chance you're gonna die soon. There's a decent chance you're gonna die. And that's I think that's when I'm 80, 8, 90, I, I would deal with that differently. Dude, that is there is nothing that compares to that. I remember saying, I'm such a positive person. I found myself, I had total peace with dying for me. For me, it was fine. But when you when you start, when you are hit with a wave of graduations and marriages and kids and all this crazy cool stuff that you want to see, dude, it's, it's like nothing. So right now, nothing special about Yancey. Right now, as we're speaking, are you listening to this conversation, listening to this podcast? It's happening to somebody's family member right now. They're knee deep in the middle of that, and it's crazy freaking real, and it's brutal. And that's, you know, all you can say is 
it's when you know you say, well, you're, you're you're linked as brothers and sisters forever as cancer survivors. It's very real, dude. You know, it's because you know exactly what went on in those people's heads, what was almost stripped for them, and they made it. And and you grieve for people that that lose that are getting ready to die, or, or the people that are going to lose family members because it's um it's tough, man. You, you know, even if you it don't matter if you die at eighty or, or forty five, it's it's so ridiculously short here. Time is so short and precious. And if you're doing anything other than pinching the life out of every second you get each day, man, you're really spinning your wheels. You don't need a lot of money. You don't need a lot of fame to pinch the life. You just kind of engage. And from the moment you get out of bed, you got to engage in life and dive in. And it is so stinking precious. So that's it, man. Nine months of cancer. And um, it was uh, it was a gift, dude. I would never give that time back. I'm very thankful and blessed that, that, that I made it. But uh, it, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful piece of my life. At this point, Yancy, like that is one of those, this is going to be like a temple segment of our podcast thus far. The, the, the cancer, the value every moment, the squeeze every second out of life. There's no question I can follow up that with. There's nothing I can expound upon. Like everything would either cheapen it or detract from it. And so if there's more for you and I to talk about, about training, about philosophy, I think it's a next time question. That That's where I want to leave off today. I want to leave people thinking about, how short this life is and how much you have to value every second because you highlight my weaknesses as a coach and as a person. You seek out people. You seek out contact. I resist it a lot. You you absorb and you maximize every second and I coast at times throughout my week. And so that section hit me like a ton of bricks and I want everyone to have it hit them. And so I'm just, I'm ending my section right here. Kirk, do you have anything? No, I just, I, I wanted to dive into that with you, Yancey, because it's something that I don't think you actually outwardly fall back on very often. You just plugged forward with life with a sense of vigor and purpose. And it's, so it's something I've just greatly respected about you. It's never anything you've used as an excuse or a, a reason to not be uh, someone who still gives, you know, just because you were sick once doesn't mean you still can't give. And you gave that whole time. And so I just think that's super respectful. Yeah, it's a fine line. You see a lot of people become, live a better life of service after something like that. And that, that, that's all I want to do. And we, you also want to try to do it in a way where it doesn't look like you're always leaning in on that. And then that, that's, a, that's a fine line. But um, but of course, it, every now and then it does come up where it allows you to to package what you're going to say in, in a way where it packs a little more punch. And and when those times are, are there, absolutely. But uh but man, much love to anybody out there that, that's going through something uh, like that right now. It is a um, just, 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 you know, from the bottom of my heart, um, I, I always say, man, if there's any, and I know you guys do the same thing, there, there is somebody right now that, that might listen to this that needs nothing more than to know that, wait a second, those guys, those three guys just said, if you freaking need something, I don't care if it's two in the morning, you, you, you reach out to me, you shoot me a private message on Instagram or whatever. And, and, and I really genuinely feel that they'll drop what they're doing and, and, and help me. And I think that's, I think that's important, man. And I, I genuinely mean that when I, when I say that, if, if anybody need, as I I've needed things in my life and I have, I have been lucky enough to never, ever have, I always had somebody there every single time. And that's, that's cause I'm stupid blessed. There are people right now that don't have that person. So if you are that person, man, if there's any freaking way that this, old country boy that with freaking one year of college under his belt and is failing forward every single day and isn't good at much, but I, I, I am good at serving. And if you need something, if you're that person, you freaking reach out to me and I'll give you, I'll give you everything I got.
So that's all we can do, man. Because I, I I guarantee you, it might be tomorrow, it might be a year from now. I'm gonna need I'm gonna need something. I, I guarantee it. You guys are awesome, dude. I love the show. Love I got it. nothing to add to that. That's beautiful. You got a speechless here, man. So thank you for coming on. Please come on again. We'll do a a a, a mind a coaching minds episode where we just bounce ideas and workouts in our favorite session. But for now, and let's just all be better people. Love it, man. Rock and thank roll, you. guys. Live, thank love, you. laugh, and serve big with big, big focus on the serve. Got to end on this. Do everything <laughs> you can do to light up the planet and Jared and I's new one. Keep climbing and no freaking whining. Mm -hmm.